Hey, uh, my name is Jared Waters. Welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. The podcast is about being alone with your own thoughts, and we're not alone with our own thoughts. We review One Tree Hill episodes to make the time pass by, which is a great show. I have my first guest, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is Mr. Marshall. Good evening. Good evening. We call him the Archbishop. That's his nickname, the <laughs> Arch, the Archbishop, Archbishop Marshall. Don't know about that, but uh, good evening. Glad to be we here. Call it, we, we speak it into existence. Uh, I met Marshall, it's been three years since we've crossed paths, three years. I've known you for about three years. And if you don't know, uh, Marshall, he does it all. But before we talk about what he does, we're going to just go back to where it all started. Where were you? Where are you from? Where do you call home? What is your, your origin? Where, are you, where do you so call home? What state? What <clears throat> city? So that's interesting. My um, origin, I was born and raised, um, for the most part, I'm from Rochester, New York. Um, upstate. Is that upstate? Yes, it's very far. I mean, a Rochester. lot of times people tell me, you know, I was just in Rochester over the weekend. But when they say Rochester, they're really referring to New Rochelle. But Rochester is really about six and a half hours, you know, west of the city. And um, northwest, rather. It's in, you know, in... It's near Ontario, Lake Ontario, but it's a very small town. Near Canada. Near Canada, yes. And Rochester, New York um, is where it all began for me. I was born literally um, in the same hospital my father was born in. And, um, you know, spent majority of my childhood there and then left Rochester and when I was, you know, roughly around 10 years old and relocated to Central Florida. So I spent... Um, well, let's 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 stop there. So you grow up in New New Rochelle, Rochester, Rochester, <laughs> but it's near New Rochelle. No, it's not near New Rochelle. That's the myth. Everyone thinks that they get Rochester mixed up with New Rochelle, but Rochester is all the way in Western New York. So Western New York, what was that like? Two parent household? Yes. Yes, I grew up with my parents. Also, grew up with. Um, my grandmothers were extremely influential in my upbringing as well. I think we grew up really um, with both parents and grandparents living, you know, just a couple blocks from each other. So it was more like a community. Everyone Very knew small each other. community. And not only did everyone know each other, but for the most part, majority of the people in that city happened to be from... Um, you know, I guess everyone was impacted by the Great Migration. So right. a lot of the people in Rochester tend to either be from Arkansas or Mississippi. Arkansas? So they, yes. That's where my mother's family, they're all from Arkansas, and my father's family is all from Mississippi. Does your mother have any twang when she talks? No, of course, because she's a new you know, she was born and raised in Rochester. But your grand but your grandparents have that. They're from They are definitely they were definitely from Mississippi. Arkansas on my mother's side and Mississippi on my father's side. So uh, are you the, you're the oldest, correct? I am the oldest, yes. So do you have active memories of being the oldest, being the only one there, or how far apart are you and your second sibling? Well, my brother that comes directly after me, we're, I guess you could say we're all maybe a year or two apart. So we're all relatively close in age. So you never remember being alone? Well, I Growing can tell up. you the time. Well, there was a time where, you know, when my parents relocated to Florida, I stayed in New York and I, I stayed behind and I lived at least, I believe, two or three years with my grandmother. So for but what, those, how old, like what, like teenage years or? I will say from 
maybe around age eight until like around age 10 or 11. Your parents left to Florida? Yes. My mother, you know, my, my parents relocated to central Florida and why did you stay? Were you active? Did you want to stay or? Well, at that time I was attending a Catholic school, St. Monica's and I can't remember exactly why I left. I just, or why I stayed. I just remember, um, spending majority of my time in Rochester. You know, I don't remember exactly because I'm trying to think now what would have caused me to stay back. But I know I stayed back with my grandmother that I can tell you. That was your choice. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. You had that choice at eight years old to say, I want to stay back. Uh, or is just good schooling? Well, I think originally when my when my my parents, well, especially when my mom, I think their original plan was to um, just to get out of New York. I think their goal was just to get out of New York. And at first, I'll just tell you this, my brother, my younger, my brother that's right underneath me, he stayed with me. So he and I stayed. Together. Right, we stayed. But then I can't remember exactly when it happened, but I think at some point he broke his arm. So my mother flew in and it was just a whole But you guys weren't alone alone. So your brothers were with you. Your brother and sister were. Well, one of my brothers was with me initially, maybe for like maybe the first part of the year. Wow. First part of the year, but when he broke his arm, I think from that point he ended up moving with my, you know, ended up moving to the south as well. So, would you say that your upbringing, so like you were just because when you're eight years old, that's usually when you start acting out a little bit. So, was it, was your grandparents strict? Or you could all, or your parents would always come back and forth and pick you up? And well, I will say my grandmother on my father's side was definitely the strict one in, in, in some regards, my grandmother on my mother's side was not as strict. Um, that was noticeable, but, but I don't think I was one of those kids that really got into, you know, a whole lot of trouble or anything like that. I mean, I was just an ordinary kid. I would go outside riding my bicycle, but you know, she really didn't have to, um, discipline me that much because I don't think I really did too much. I mean, I was just a regular kid, to be honest with you. Could your teachers know that your parents were gone? Because it reminds me of like military kids. Military kids, they some of them might be like eight years old and their father's like gone for like eight months. Right. But your parents are literally down in Florida. Right. So could they tell that your parents are gone or how it affected you? Or do you think it didn't affect you at all? Could you? I don't think it really had a huge impact. And I think the reason that I'll say that is because... Um, still have my entire family that was there so yes you but know this was before facetime and everything else so yeah this was call definitely your mom be- on the phone and just like hey how's your day or well i'll be honest with you as time went on i remember this yes definitely that was a time where people actually would call but then um it was also in the, in a time where of course you know, there were definitely letters that we would write at the, at that time as well. So I don't remember writing my mother, because, but I do remember that was the time in which, you know, your parents would write a letter to you or, you know, things of that sort. So you're talking about the late 80s, early 90s? Wow. Actually, more or less the early 90s, like 1990, 1991, et cetera. Do you still have the letters or? No, no, I definitely don't have anything from that. Not, not that I can recall. I don't really have any of the letters or anything like that from, from that era. Let's let's stay there because you go, you're when you're born. So at eight years old, your parents moved down to Florida. My mother moved first. Oh, so your dad was still here. Yes, initially. So your initially. dad was still there. When did your dad leave the Florida? 
Um, geez, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot with these timelines. Um, not quite sure. Not quite sure. Because I'm curious, because it's like you as a person now, you have like a great amount of leadership and you're very independent. So do you think it started when you were young? Because you're the oldest in your family. I am the oldest. Do and you take lead too? Do people like when your brother sisters know like, let's wait for Marshall to make a decision? Well, when it came to like more decisions with my grandparents, yes. Um, I was very involved um, with making decisions, especially for my first grandmother. So I think leadership, Affects us all. Old, at eight years old. Well, so I'm not even thinking about eight. No, not at eight years old. We're gonna, we're gonna get to. We're gonna get to your. We're gonna get to now. We're okay. Gonna, we're going starting at eight. Okay. So at eight, as the oldest, was it like since your mom was gone, did your brothers and sisters look to you to be like, did you take care of your brothers and sisters? No, not at, not not at that age. I will say, you know, it's interesting because when we grew up, I didn't really remember the whole leadership part of it until. Um, I ended up going to Florida and that's when you have that whole, you're the oldest, I'm leaving you in charge. And that's kind of where the leadership part kicked in. But when I was younger, maybe like eight, nine years old, we didn't really have any concept of who was the oldest or who wasn't the oldest because in, at that, you know, time we were pretty much all the same for the most part. Right, if you are one year apart. So you're eight years old, your mom goes down to Florida for a better life. How was, what's, what's school like in upstate New York? Regular school? Are you like the only black kid there? Are there well, more diverse? I will say this. I wouldn't say that it was diverse. Um, well, actually, it, it there seemed to be more, it was a black school for, for some odd reason. We definitely had a few whites here and there, <laughs> a few, um, a few Spanish. Um, a few white children were there, a few Spanish children. But I don't remember it being a multicultural school. I don't really, you know, remember it being um, a diverse school in that regard. I do remember it being predominantly a black school. It was Catholic. Um, interestingly enough, majority of the students that were there were not Catholic, though. You know? They're just regular kids in the neighborhood. Regular kids. We all attended either a Pentecostal or Baptist church. But that was actually the closest school um, for the people that were in that area. Did you guys have to practice Catholicism or like, did y'all pray every day or did you have like the flag there or? So I wouldn't say we practiced Catholicism. What was interesting about it was we did attend mass every week. So I do at remember the school? At the, because the school was um, connected to the actual Catholic church. So we had the school, the actual school was, uh, I think, right across the street, uh -huh. but it was owned by the church. So on Wednesdays, we would all line up and we would... The whole do, school would just go to Mass? I remember it, yes. Wow. So we did have... Um, that was my first encounter, um, seeing nuns and things of that sort. But I don't really recall much about Catholicism because it wasn't really taught. It was not a, a religious school in the sense that we were taught um, the principles of the Catholic religion. It just happened to be... Um, a school for the children that were in the neighborhood. Now, it was a school that had tuition. So, of oh, course, wow. it was one of those. I don't know if it if it was a private school in that regard, but definitely it was not a public school. So that's eight years old. Do you have any friends from high, from elementary school that you still keep in contact with? or No, actually, no. It's funny. I just, one one of the kids that I actually went to, St. Monica's wit did reach out to me um, recently because he was 
he also attended the church that my grandmother attended who had just passed away. So he reached out and offered condolences. But really, I don't really keep in contact. I don't even remember many of the kids from that school. Yeah, I find it hard. Like, while some, like, New Yorkers that are in the city, they know the kids they went to elementary school, the ones they went to middle school with. I was like, yeah, because y'all lived in the same neighborhood. Like, when right, you right, bounce right. around, it's like, right. the kid stays in the same neighborhood. Right, right. So, yes, I don't remember, like I said, actually, I can vaguely recall some of the names, but... I don't really, um, and I think the one time that I did get a, you know, a clear picture as to who the students were that I went to school with was when I came across my kindergarten school picture. At that time, the picture, the school picture that they had given us actually had the names of the students underneath the picture. Oh, wow. So, so that's the only them. reason that I was able to kind of recall some of the names. You could just find them and just like, hey. Right. Do you do you have a vivid memory, uh, remembrance of your teachers growing up? Do you remember what they were like? Were they nice to you or? Yes, um, from the, from that particular school, I will say I went to that school all the way until fourth grade. So I do remember my very first teacher. I remember um, my first grade t teacher. I don't remember the second grade teacher, but I do remember. Um, but you're talking about early, 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 um, early on in my education. So, you know, when you think about those early years, you're thinking more about the teacher that was teaching us, you know, or that was facilitating games like duck, duck, goose. <laughs> so I don't remember the lessons as much as I do remember um, being di just divided up among, you know, divided up with the other students and, and the actual recreation part of it. Well, sometimes I find it interesting how the that even though how many years ago it was, some teachers stand out to you. Right. And you can remember their face. You can remember something about their voice and stuff like that. Right. Not for kindergarten, first grade, or second grade. I don't really remember much standing out, to be honest with you. I don't even I know how people remember their kindergarten teachers, to be honest with you. Well, I do remember my kindergarten teacher. I don't she, remember who mine was, and there's like I looked at my old, <laughs> my old uh, yearbook, and my name was Mikey, and I was like, "Who is Mikey Waters?" Wow! That's and my mom was like, "That's what they called you at the school." That's was what that they, like a nickname or I, they made it up themselves? Interesting. I never been called Mikey before. Interesting. Because I was looking for myself. I was like, "Mom, where am I?" She's like, "That's for you, Mikey. That's what they called you." Wow. Because I don't know. We just came to school, and they said, "There goes Mikey." Interesting. I think it's probably a couple other Jarrett's, so they call me Mikey Waters. And I was like, I don't know. I don't remember what the lady looks like. I don't remember her voice. My vivid memories is like second grade. Second grade, okay. I remember my teacher second grade because she was very mean to me. I remember that. I remember, what do I remember about second grade? Um, I don't remember the actual teacher. The reason that second grade was probably a little more memorable for me than the other grades was because for the first time um one of the i think we had teachers and then we had teachers aides from what i could recall like one of the teacher one of the um assistants that was in our classroom i remember when i was in second grade she passed away mm. so we had come back from like one of the you know christmas or, or you know holiday vacations and my actual teacher announced to us that she had passed away over the break and she was crying so that was something that was uh, a vivid memory for me I don't know if it was because that was my first encounter with um, at least hearing the term um, death or being acquainted with it in the sense that someone you know 
today can actually um, be gone tomorrow. And I think that was the only time that that had occurred when I was, you know, early, you know, in my early years. So that's one of the memories that stood out for me in second grade. So we move on, we move. So fifth grade is when you move and go to Florida. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Now, what was that adjustment coming from New York to Florida? Sunshine. I will grass. say. Grass. It was an adjustment for me academically more than it was an adjustment for. Well, it was an adjustment culture for sure. But I think the academic adjustment was huge because I went from a school that had a very, very specific, a very structured um, curriculum to a region that had a totally different curriculum. So when you go from a Catholic school where phonics was actually being taught to um, Central Florida where I had to adjust to weekly readers. And so we didn't really have that whole concept of weekly readers when I was in New York. It was just, it was just the whole academic um, transition for me it was just a huge adjustment. And I remember um, going to Central Florida and not doing as well initially with just adjusting to this is the format, um, the educational format. This is how you learn. This is, you know, the material that's covered. And um, it was just such a vastly different world that I don't really remember appreciating Central Florida initially. Um, so much that I remember when I first moved to Florida that year, I remember, um, I don't know if I spent maybe two or three weeks Maybe it was a month or two I spent in the school system, but I ended up moving back to New York to finish out my school year in New York because my um, I just I just in couldn't adjust. Grade? Yes, in fourth grade. So as soon as you went down there, you came back up. I came back, and I think part of that too was because in Central Florida they start the school system much earlier. Mm -hmm. So I remember starting maybe around August. August, but in New York we generally start our school session after Labor Day. So I hadn't missed much when I transitioned back to New York. How was it making friends in Florida? Um, making friends was definitely challenging. Um, why, do, why do you think it was challenging? Because you were just moving around? or Well, it was challenging for different reasons. It was challenging because uh, I think the types of things that we were interested in doing in New York, we had to adjust to a different type of recreation when we went to Florida. In New York... You know, for most of the year, we're kind of, you know, entrapped or cooped up inside of a building because of right. the weather. So we had different games that we would play. Um, and when I remember when we had transitioned to Florida, it's a pretty much a sunny state. Everything is, is, you know, warm weather all year long. So it was more get your bike and come follow us, you know. And it was, you know, just not as um, – it wasn't as smooth of a transition as I, as I wish it could have been. But that was just more or less because I'm adjusting to not just a different circle of friends, but I'm also adjusting Climate. to an environment where I have no cousins. I have no family. I have no one other than my immediate family. So it's just you and your brothers and sisters. Right. And, you know, that's, you know, that was just an adjustment. Not that that was a problem, but that was more of an adjustment because when we were in Rochester, we had our cousin, you know, we had, you know, aunts uncles we had family members that we were surrounded by and when we went to florida we just really had to adjust to just starting all over again 
And I guess maybe being a military kid, you probably can relate to that yeah. much more. Yeah, we bounce around. That's why I said, like, because you bounce around a lot to be a, such a young child to be New York, back to Florida. At least it was two places. You know? Right, right. I would say for the most part, I've really only lived, at least as a child, in Rochester and in Central Florida. Nowhere else. But um. So, okay, you leave Florida, come back to Rochester. How right. long were you here there for? The rest of your... The rest of the fourth grade year. And then you go back down to Florida again. Yes. And you're from Florida from fifth grade to high school? Wait a minute. Let me make sure I'm getting my timeline correct here. Okay, scratch that. That was second grade. <laughs> Wait, you left in second grade? So I left in second grade. Okay. And then I came back and finished second grade. And then I finished third and fourth grade. In Florida? In? Rochester. Jeez, now you have me confused. <laughs> what? What? what I'm 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 getting to the fact that you're raised get, trying to get my being timeline. raised by your grandparents. So how was that? Like, were they super strict? Meaning that because you know, that's a no a whole generation that they're raising because well, technology started to change when you were a child. Well, I will say this: technology began to change later on when I was a child, not when I was early on. I mean, because you know, like I said in the '90s, my grandmother she was strict, my dad's mother, but my mom's mother, which is you know, you know. She's the one that I actually lived with. She was not as strict, but, you know, she was a very religious woman. So I remember because she was a, one of those church mothers, she raised, you know, at least from what I recall, she, she raised me a certain way. But she was just very adamant about um, what I watched on television. Like so in what? that regard, well. What couldn't you watch? Well, when we were younger, I remember just, you know, although I was too young early on to watch videos i remember when i was a kid growing up one of the things that was really popular is bet videos mm -hmm. and um when you growing up in the early 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 90s there were so many different videos that were on and it was just dr dre snoop dogg it was just fascinated with seeing the videos because remember music went from just you know standing on the stage singing to actual dance routines and performances so just being captivated by that but she you know really didn't allow that on her television so i didn't really watch that um really like i said i can't say she was really a strict person other than she was just very very religious very spiritual and she had a you know she instilled within me a certain respect that i have for for god and for really for spiritual things so i developed that early on when i was younger when do you remember the first time going to a church Nah, I remember um, it's hard because I can't really say that there was one vivid memory. I just remember as far back as I can remember, I was always somehow involved in church, whether it's with my I were, Were like taking the offering, collecting well, the offering or no, I, I'll Sunday just tell school. you this. My my earlier memories of church really didn't even just start with my with my grandmother. She was the one that kind of reinforced it and. And sustained it but it was earlier on like with my mother and I, I remember growing up the memories that I had of course in a Pentecostal church at that time was the dancing the shouting casting out devils and <laughs> but but more than the casting out in of devils I remember just the shouting the dancing and I remember that was just like almost like otherworldly for me you know okay. because it was just so fascinating to us as children to just watch someone um literally have a conversation with you and then 30 40 minutes into the service they are literally just dancing and coming out of their heels and 
you know, we were just as kids laughing at it because we just right. thought it was hilarious. And then turn around, be quiet back there. Right. Sit and, down. And not only that, when we got home, I remember, you know, we would laugh about it all the way until we got home. And I remember one time my my I think it was my grandmother that told me um, she heard us in the other room laughing and I guess mocking and making um, I guess we were just. Just, you know, re- reacting the service. We were reacting. Reacting the, the service right. like everybody we, does it. Right. We were doing Shout that. Shout like Miss Mabel. Right. And we we were just doing it. And I had this little toy piano. And I remember we were just playing on the piano and we were just having church. But at one point we were laughing at something that had to do with someone dancing in the Holy Spirit. And I remember my grandmother came to me at that time and she said, I better not ever <laughs> catch you laughing at that's blasphemy that's the one thing you will never be forgiven for blasphemy and i remember saying you know what do you mean she she was you know telling us we can never make it to heaven <laughs> she for, said for, 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 <laughs> blasphemy, <laughs> for blasphemy and then i asked my grandmother i said well what is blasphemy and she said laughing at the saints rejoicing <laughs> so <laughs> so you know earlier on we did develop this type of i don't want to say a fear but we you know at least developed some respect for um, spiritual things or we were taught to have respect for it now I can't tell you whether or not we put it all into practice but I can tell you at least we were taught that we don't really want to make fun of that stuff or make mockery of it don't you feel like sometimes the older generation they had a more of a fear and our generation is more of a, a love we highlight the love because my great aunt used to be all like you're like man it's hot in here it's hot how hot it is I said, it's real hot well, hell is a whole lot hotter than this. Turn your <laughs> life around. I said, great. I said, gracious. Turn the heat off. Uh-uh. Some of y'all gonna be burning up. I said, gracious. Well, I will say, I I will, I definitely believe that maybe they had a. I I never viewed it as fear and and love. I viewed it more as they had a different type of commitment, and I just don't know what sparked it in them. But I definitely know they had a different type of conviction. And a different type of commitment to their faith. My, you know, of course, I'm like, you know, right in between two generations. So right. I can respect my grandmother's generation and at the same time understand why my generation is so different. You know, they came, I guess they were introduced to the faith or they were um, inducted into the faith at a different time in history. So do you, you know, feel like. Because uh, my, my grandmother's older, too, and we went to church all the time as well. But I feel like me and my brothers, just as we always had so many questions, and we would always challenge everything. To like ask, like, why do you think this? And my aunts would challenge my grandfather when he would say his views mm. and everything else. So it was more like the open interpretation. Well, I don't, I don't know if, if when we challenged or if we would have challenged more. I'm not. Why wouldn't you say challenge? I mean, like, go deeper into the scripture. Because we like look at different meanings and be like, I don't think that means this. This might mean this, you know? Right. I don't know if, let's say, for example, if you say go deeper into it. I don't know to what extent that generation would have been able to provide more answers. Um, I One thing I will tell you is that I think there has been a shift, or at least from what I see, it's almost like you have a generation that may not be, or that might not have been the best at articulating certain aspects, but they did an extraordinary job of demonstrating it to us. My, and what I have seen was the obver- or the opposite of it, of that, where 
I see a generation now that is very proficient with articulating, but I'm not as confident. Articulating how they feel or articulating? Articulating what we believe, articulating how we understand scripture, but I'm not as confident that we have, um, you know, that we are as, um, as precise when it comes to the demonstration or how we execute, you know? So that's kind of where I, you know, I, I like to see both come together and integrated. I like to see the execution or I like to see how we demonstrate our faith, um, you know, being very, very, profi- you know, proficient, precise, something that's sustainable in real time. But I also would like to see um, us have the ability to articulate it at the same time. So I just, you know, I would rather see both um, the old generation's model and our generation model merge together. Which is why I've kind of always given myself to trying to bridge the gap between two generations. Right. That was, I okay. Let's let's back up before this. Do you remember how old were you when you first became saved and gave your life to Christ? Do you remember your first vivid memory of like that? I do. I do. How old were you? When I you was were? ten years old. What What happened? What happened where you were like, I want to? Well, what I went to well, you as you mentioned earlier, fear. <laughs> I went to a revival, and this particular revival was centered around um, the end times, revelations. Was and it a play or just like No, it was actual okay. it was an actual revival. And I remember I think this church had a production, they had a play, but the night that I had attended, it was actually an actual regular service and they were teaching on the period of you know, rev in that's found in the book of Revelations, known as like the tribulation period. A thousand years, right? Not the thousand, not the millennial reign. They were they were teaching more about the tribulation, that seven year tribulation period that leads okay. into the millennial reign. But what was interesting was they talked about how there is a generation, um, or not generation. They talked about how there will be um, those that will be beheaded for the gospel's sake. Right. And I remember just hearing the fact that people would only pass through that part of the tribulation with you know, being beheaded or being Mm -hmm. persecuted. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't want to experience that type of persecution. I don't. And and I remember the the way out for me through the gospel was salvation. That was the only way that I could escape that seven. So so in the onset, I think that my initial, you know, reason that I had dedicated myself to Christian faith when I was, you know, 10 years old was. It was just out of fear initially that I didn't want to get my head chopped off. I remember that. I got in the line with everybody else <laughs> because, I mean, it was so real. And I was like, you know, when in hearing that as a child and then you realize that, you know, there's no, you know, a lot of it was just maybe the way that the theology was taught. But I just know at that time I didn't have any theological training. I didn't have any. I just knew I didn't want to experience that tribulation. So I just got in line and. And, and dedicated my life. And that was the beginning. And I think maybe God used my initial fear of of being beheaded to um, really spark something that would be um, long lasting for me. Did you ever rededicate your life to Christ? Because I figure I know when some people become Christians very early, the adolescent stage is when a lot of things get challenged. Right. So, like, did you act up when you became a teen? Like, were you or just smooth? No, not really. Not Not to my knowledge. I mean, other than... You was know, it hard being a Christian in high school or like in middle school? Was it hard? It's hard being a Christian now. It's always hard. Being you think it's harder now than it was in 
Like well, seeing, because in high school people start doing wild stuff. Because I felt like when I was in high school, most of the the wildest kids were all the the kids that went to my church. Well, I will tell you. Here come the what is it? Here come Faith Christian Fellowship boys. Here they come, <laughs> and boys gonna tear up the they gonna tear up the break room. Well, I'll tell you, being the complexity um, with you know regarding being a Christian is something that kind of um, it's it, it's something that kind of it, it it's constant. It's not just that it was harder back then. Than, I mean, there's al- there are always times where I feel like, oh, it's harder today than it was yesterday. And I then tomorrow the is going to come, and I feel like tomorrow is even harder than yesterday. So, I, you know, there are always challenges. I can just tell you, um, <laughs> there there are moments where I do, you know, where I have, I guess you can say rededicate rededicated my life, but it wasn't in the true sense. It was... You know, once again, based out of fear, you're on a plane and, you know, you experience some, you some turbulence that is like, you know, really, really, it feels life threatening. And you just run into the bathroom and just dedicate your life all over again. <laughs> all over again. He said, Lord, have so, you saved me on the cloud, save right. me on the ground. I mean, th- so in those cases, yes. But outside of that, I can't tell you. Th- yes, there were times when it was challenging, but I can tell you the thing that made it easier um, to be a, a Christian at that time was just the enthusiasm, the joy around, um, you know, Christian things, Christian faith. And the other thing, too, and not to get too far into this, but, you know, we we can't really discount the fact that I actually came into Christian faith during the time where there was really like a, a national revival. So I was what part of it. There was really like this revival movement that actually um, started breaking out in the 90s where... Oh, like Carlton Pearson. Well, and the reason that I, I call it a revival, it hasn't been officially termed as a revival as the Azusa Street Revival was, but it was a revival in, in, in some regard, in many regards, because it was during an era where for the first time we as Pentecostal people were able to look on television and see you know, not just our preachers, but just so many other preachers um, coming together, whether it was, you know, that Azusa Street, mm-hmm. that Azusa um, conference, but then we were introduced to some of the greatest preachers in that era. And as a result, um, we started to see more Christian television becoming, you know, such a desirable thing back What in do you mean, era. like Christian television? Like more like... Turning pe- on television and seeing a preacher preach... And oh, okay. then and then it's like, oh, my God, I have to order that sermon. Or TBN, to, was that around? Well, not in the early 90s, but it was just beginning to take off. So I remember, well, TBN was around, yes. It's so like local local networks had like the local pastor. Well, on. and then you just had these, you know, you just have evangelists and preachers that were just rising up in that era. And then I remember there was a time where, you know, I got, so I got saved. That was, you know, early on, but then maybe a year or two later, that's when we started to hear about all these different conferences and conventions and this preacher and that preacher. And then as a kid, I remember always having a, a Walkman in my, you know, at that time we had the little cassette player mm-hmm. in our headphones. But I remember ordering, um, you know, taking my little allowance money as I got older or whatever little money I had and just ordering cassettes and ordering preaching not because I thought that I would actually, you know, preach one day or and I'm learning the art of preaching, but I had just become so fascinated with preaching just in terms of 
the message was applicable to everyday life. This is in high school you felt that way? No, actually, I would say the the latter part of middle school going into high school. So, okay, you you finish. So we go through high school. Uh, How was high school? Okay. Going into high school. Well, high school was interesting. I mean, I had no... No problems with high school. I enjoyed it. Are you referring to like the whole being a Christian in high school? Both, or just, just both like being in high school. Like do you have high school friends that you still communicate with? Do you remember high school vividly? Good experience? Yes, I did have um, a really good experience in high school. I can tell you that um, I don't really keep in contact as much with any of the any of the friends that I attended high school with other than on Facebook, so to speak. But but no, I have pretty good memories for the most part of high school. I had a lot of fun, just like any any other you know kid. I remember um, traveling a lot. I, at that time, I was a part of our high school gospel chorus, our high school gospel choir. So I did do some traveling with the group then, and just you know having a lot of fun and just you know laughing a lot. So most of my memories in that you know at that time were just centered around um, really just being a I guess you could say a a regular kid just laughing yeah, at I laughed a lot to be honest with you was that was my big, weakness uh, you, I know you think everything's funny <laughs> <laughs> that's my way I've gotten better I don't I've think that's better. a weakness I think that I think laughter is good for the soul you well know? I, let me say, tell you why I said a weakness a weakness in the sense that you have people they laugh at something that's funny they laugh and then they stop for me it seemed to be like problematic because once I start laughing it was harder to just kind of get myself together and I remember there was a period where I was in the chorus when I was in high school and something happened and, you know, someone and actually something happened and I laughed. And I remember the guys around me start laughing. But once I stopped laughing to see them laughing around me was making me laugh more. And our school was disqualified that year from the festival. Because so I remember he, because, well, because they, they said I started it, but you did. But I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. What so happened? That was so funny. I can't even remember. I just remember the actual part where we were all laughing. On stage in front of everybody? Yes. It was during a festival, during a state competition. And so (laughs) Like Sister Act. Well, it was really worse. It was bad. I and I and I have to say that the the part that was really, really funny, I think it I think one of the girls was actually making me laugh. And I remember they called both of us in the office afterwards and that's when I was written up. That was the first time I had ever been written up on a referral. Um, for conduct and I remember they called us both in the office and because they called us in the office about laughing at the state festival and how embarrassing it was that was the first time probably in history that that school was disqualified (laughs) and I could not get myself together and when they you were laughing in the office too well because she started laughing so then I started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> so, so it was like you know this you is why we're writing you in up front of their face. and it's just you know and i realized then that that's you know these are like the things that i will say when i look back in hindsight it was a part of my childhood it was these are memories they were fun and um you know yeah so that's part of how i grew up but you enjoy humor now though like we laugh about everything i do Me and i you do laugh I do. about i do laugh I do. about everything and I feel like that's a way that you could spread your ministry. All right, so look, so you go through. I'm trying to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get to. I'm trying to get us to when you start studying divinity. Okay. Did okay. you do that in gra- undergrad? Or okay, so what was it? What was your major in undergrad? Okay, so in undergrad, I studied um, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Undergrad, I studied philosophy, and um, why did you choose that major? 
to be honest with you, I I knew I wanted to become a, um, you know, I want, at that time, my parents wanted me to become a lawyer. And I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to become a lawyer, but I know I just needed to pick something. And I had a VHS cassette in my hand at that time. And I think I saw on, you know, th- that particular cassette, I just saw the word philosophy and, and <laughs> humanities. So That's when I walked, so when I walked to the office, I said philosophy. <laughs> because I, I just... Philosophy, please. Philosophy. I just chose something. And um, I definitely remember just sitting in those classes thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Because philosophy was not... Um, it wasn't an easy subject, although it was, you know, along the lines of how I would normally naturally think. Right. Um, it wasn't an easy subject because even the elective courses that I took were all courses in philosophy. So all of my electives, aside for one or two here, you know, that, you know, here and there, most of all of my electives were in the philosophy department as well. And the way I say that because the way you can interpret the Bible, you can tell you know you've studied some other form. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I the way you deepen, like with the conversations that we have or like when we have like group Bible studies and stuff like that. When when did you transition to divinity or have you always been studying the Bible your whole life? I was studying the Bible from, I guess you can say from the time that I, it was definitely after high school. It was when I started college and I realized that, you know, geez, we really have to understand the faith in an, in a more academic way. So I just started studying. And it wasn't really, and I'll be honest with you, from college, even, even when I went on and did a few years of seminary, it wasn't really, even then, it was always just, it wasn't even, you know, just a very rigorous approach to um, anything in particular. I just knew that I had an appreciation for history. So even when I was reading a passage in the scriptures, I always had questions. And um, I think my background in, in philosophy always, it helped me because it always caused me to think and reason a certain way. And I remember growing up in church, we would always hear you know, phrases like, hallelujah is the highest praise. Mm-hmm. And everyone would hear it and they would just, in, the church would be in pandemonium. But I would always question, well, who says it's the highest praise? And then, of course, people want to silence you. Why would you ask that? But I always always wondered, like, you know, how do we arrive at a certain conclusion? Like, what, you know, what causes us to think this way? And so I always wanted to understand things. You know, one, I wanted to understand, you know, truth. (laughs) Uh, And then from there, I always wanted to understand reason. So for me, philosophy helped to shape how I approach you know, the scriptures. So when I'm looking at something, I'm always looking to understand, you know, what is it that this is teaching us? Okay. And then I look at the historical backdrop. So for me, I didn't have a real passion as much to study theology, as much as I had um, a passion to study history. So even when I was in seminary, I remember just only studying um, biblical studies. How long did you do seminary for? I did seminary for three years. And you graduated? I didn't graduate from there yet. Um, oh, you're still? Well, I, I, <laughs> I took time off from my seminary right when the seminary was actually going through um, a transition. And I just, for whatever reason, haven't really gone back to finish 
my last, uh, I guess, year, because even though I did three years, it was three years of not really a full-time, a full-time schedule. I didn't take on that load because I was working full-time. Would, so, are you a, you're an ordained minister? Yes. Yes. When did that happen? That happened, I think, in two thousand and three. Mm-hmm. Is when I initially, um, you know, was serving in in, in one of my churches, and um, and I was ordained at that time. And I remember um, from that point, but even before becoming an ordained ministry minister, I always had a desire to really understand scripture. What? So after you get ordained, you are you are ordained to do weddings. Or so what, let's let's break down what is ordained. Because a lot of the people don't know what it means to be ordained to be an ordained minister. Okay. So yes. When you are ordained, but, you know, I always want to put everything in context. You still have to be under the umbrella of a particular um, bishop, under a particular um, church, etc. Because you can be ordained, and then if you're not a- affiliated with that fellowship, um, you have the whole licensing aspect. The ordination is really when they lay their hands on you. But the licensing is when, you know, being licensed is when you actually have the, um, I guess you would say the legal right, you know. The ordination gives you that spiritual authority, but you still need the legal right to go in and perform those sacraments. You Do know? you have the legal right? At this point? Yes. Well, I will say no, because right now I'm not affiliated or I'm not licensed within um, my church, my ordination was when I was in college, when I was at that particular church. But being a part of, um, you know, a different ministry, that license does not automatically carry over. Okay, so we're going to jump. We're going to jump. So I met Marshall three years ago, and we we met. Did we, we didn't meet at Bible study, did we? Did we meet at the, we just bumped each other at church, right? Yes, I believe, you, actually the Connect Group. What was the Connect Group? It was the Kingdom Man the band of brothers at that time. We met at that one. It wasn't called that though. I don't know what Actually, it was called. Actually, you know what? Maybe it wasn't, it wasn't called that. It wasn't called that. It was called something else. So this church Trinity, uh, I bump into Marshall, and we we're just talking. I think we were talking about some topic, and we start talking, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this guy, this guy is he's he's he knows the word for real. This guy, <laughs> I said, he we call him the our nickname for him is the bishop because when he takes over his ministry, we know he's gonna." Whenever five years, two years, when he takes over brother, his ministry, don't get me in trouble. No, I'm just an ordinary brother. I'm, we speak into the future, my brother. So uh, we know Marshall. Marshall knows the word, but I I noticed this about you, and I say this all the time. I say that Marshall has all this wealth of knowledge, but sometimes it's hard to see him unless you call it out. Because like when we have like different issues, I'm like, let Marshall speak on this, because Marshall has clearly more more education, and he knows exactly how to break down the scriptures. Why do you think that you, I'm not going to say you're hiding, but sometimes you're waiting for that moment to reveal the knowledge that you have? Um, I wouldn't say that waiting for a moment to reveal. I will just say that I've learned over time, sometimes wisdom is having a lot to say and not saying it. You don't always have to vocalize everything that you know. You don't have to always shout every conviction from the mountaintop. Sometimes when I'm present, I am present truly because I am just trying to support someone else in their work. And you don't always have to um, demonstrate how knowledgeable you are. Yes, if I'm called upon to 
you know, provide some type of answer for something. Of course, I will open my mouth and say something. But sometimes I'm really, and I, and I hate to say it, but sometimes I'm really just there to support. And support is not always seen in, you know, in, in articulation or in dialogue. I think it's a very comfortable position to be in to just sit back and not always feel as if you have to have the knowledge or you have to have the answer or the response. Now, I will say sometimes it is challenging not to respond, but that's... Right, you're like a police off-duty. Like, you well, have the license. Well, and, and that's the philosophical part of me, right? So I think one of, my, one of my professors always told me, whenever a proposition is made, a critical response is needed. And so that's where the philosophical part of me comes in. But I don't think that it's always something that... And I, and I hate... Because people always view it as though I'm hiding or don't want to to speak up and I, I sit through many different settings where I am just really quiet and I think that's become a part of me more and more over time than it used to be and I don't know why it could just be because I feel as though you know do I really want to say something do I not want to say something and I go through that that internal conflict of do I want to answer do I not want to answer and then every question that's asked if there's silence. Do I want to answer that? Because I don't always want to be the one speaking. Right. You clearly, you don't, you don't, you're not the one speaking. It's either me looking at you or you looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you want to take this one? No, I'll take this one. Right. But, but what would you say your ministry is? Because we don't know Marshall, um, his Instagram, uh, is it public, public, private? No, it's uh, my, my Instagram is private. It's private. But if you follow him, when you do follow him, Marshall gives a lot of good uh, words the way he interprets the faith and he gives encouraging messages online and i tell him all the time I was like, that's a ministry right there because sometimes when i listen to him, i was like man he should i wish this was public so i could share it i know and I spread it and spread it to the people but would you say let's look at your, your trajectory when will you think that you'll be ready to start spreading it because i feel like you're you're spreading you spread the gospel you're like spreading it. You're like a Harriet Tubman spreading it. You're spreading it. Underground. But you're underground. I guess, when would you think you'll go overground? I don't think that I have any particular, um, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say I'm intentionally spreading it underground. I'm only private because I have a public job. And I wouldn't want I feel my that way. employees yeah, or anyone, you know, because my, although I do a lot of encouragement, you know, encouraging um thought-provoking, you know, stories. Sometimes, you know, when I first started Instagram, I was more or less just posting memes. Some of the memes were funny, some of the memes were political, and I never wanted to have a public page where it would be under scrutiny by employees, by anyone that I feel this way or I think this. Um, and so it was just more or less just my own. And then if I'm you know, moving through the city and I'm recording my personal life. I just, you know, didn't want all of that, you know, public, especially if I'm in someone's home, they're teaching yeah. me how to cook. I mean, because a lot of those things were also on my stories as well. Would, would you, would you say this? Um, the way, the way your ministry is, it's more boots on the ground. You lead by more example. Like, what would you say? How would you say, since you've seen the, ch how would you say that Christianity has shifted from your child, from high school to now? Well, well the two questions. Let me just see if I can, the, the boots on the ground part of it. I will say my, 
my strategy is definitely to be more um, grassroots. How can I get connected and plugged in with ordinary people, people that perhaps would not, you know, attend church or people that um, I would not get an opportunity to connect with? Because I really believe that there's um, a lot that I'm learning from people that I didn't get the opportunity to learn from before. So that's, you know, in part why I have this strategy. But then now to answer the other um, question, uh, I think that when it comes to ministry, now wait a minute, I want to get ahead of myself. You asked me two questions, right? One, yeah. One. How, have okay. you s how do you think Christianity has changed from when you first became a Christian, when you were in high school, and seeing how Christianity has evolved now? Because the ministry is different, like if you it is different. Because um, you, I think that you look at this more from a minister's perspective rather than a person who's just inside the pews. I do, and I think my being—I don't want to say disconnected or delinked, but my being in the background for a period of time also now gives me that other perspective where I'm able to see it from the pews. Right, I'm able mm -hmm. to see it from both sides now. I can tell you Christianity has shifted a lot um, in terms of uh, the way that people respond to church. And so, you know, when I think about Christianity, I have to look at it in, in various segments or various compartments. You have the actual message that's being taught, but then you also have the actual um, setting, which is the church. So when I think of how Christianity has changed, I don't want to think that Christianity has changed as much as maybe the message um, has changed well the message and maybe the actual um but what but what we were established to do that's still the same i think but maybe the message has changed um you know in 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 the mainstream um what would you say the mainstream message is now the mainstream message seems to be more individualistic it seems to be more um self-oriented you know everything is about self everything is about this life and when i grew up everything was about eternity everything mm -hmm. was about um getting yourself in order because there is a day that's coming that we got to reckon with god and i remember judgment day was a part of my childhood judgment day is almost totally absent from mainstream um you know mainstream you know denomination well I don't want to say denomination but just you know just a lot of what you hear today and then I think the other thing that has caused ministry to change drastically is the whole um, emerging of social media because as a result of having social media um, bad information care you know what travels do you mean quickly. bad information um, if someone doesn't like a particular church or if someone um, goes and they you know have a particular experience they're recording it live so now the type of um you know activity that you would only experience face to face when you're in church now you're able to see it you know from your cell phone you're able to see it and then we have memes that we add to it so i think we lose a sensitivity to um sacred things or to spiritual things and i think it becomes very um, common in, in some regard. Um, our preachers, to some dis to some extent, sometimes the way that people engage with preachers can be very common. What do you mean engage with preachers like what? 
meaning like it just just when you look at it it's like you just even though you really want them to have a personal life we're not used to seeing the personal life being lived out in front of us so you know when you follow some pages it's you, you could definitely see more of the human side of us so i, I i'm not saying it's bad you see I'm the more saying, human side of the minister yeah you're seeing the human what side like of a home. lot of things and i think i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying that these all factor into ways in which it's shifting you know so we did we never you know when i was a kid you know, i remember playing uno if the reverend pulled up put those uno cards up the reverend <laughs> is here why why though i don't know i think it was because we viewed that as something sacred um, something that because it's not even like uno was associated with gambling but it's just it's something about card playing and it was just something that you didn't want to um you know let a, a reverend know that you you were playing cards but so i think over time people have shifted and maybe our ideology shifted i don't know uh, but i can just tell you that a lot of these things um definitely impact how we see ministry now do you think with so with um social media that we've preachers have become more celebrities do you think they're more celebrity preachers now i know a lot of pre- I like a lot of people when they mention preachers to me i've never heard of who they are and they're like this guy has like a million followers i, like, I don't know who he was so more like it could I, I think but that whole celebrity part came about even long before social media so long before social media, once we had that whole revival era, oh, yeah, and preachers that. start getting in and out of limousines, and we start seeing that. Oh, oh, there's limousines popping up? Well, of course. I mean, for a lot of the well-known uh, or for, for a lot of the, um, you know, preachers, et cetera. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a problem because it's still a mode of transportation. In I'm Bible, just saying in terms priest, of the, priest had the, money, the right? concept or the connotation and the imagery, we associate the limousine with celebrity mm-hmm. so i think when you see the 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 clothing when you see um when you see the presentation of wealth i think we naturally view that as um the celebrity part of it now i'm not saying that anyone is wrong for dressing um decently that's not that's not my issue my issue is just that maybe it could be because of how attached we are to social media we're giving those things more value Right. than what we should so so definitely social media has had an impact but not not necessarily that social media has changed um the ministers or ministry only i think social media has changed us and what we expect our expectation we really don't some people don't have to go to church you can stay at your house the whole time right and so we have the streaming we have all of these things which are great methods of getting the gospel out to people that are unable to um to physically be in the same space with you but sometimes those of us who are able to be in that space we probably tend to rely on that method or those methods um just because they're more comfortable more convenient as well would you would you start your own ministry and how would you move through social media would I start my own ministry? I don't think Would anyone, you start, start your own church? Would you start your own church? Well, I don't think it. anyone should just start a church, to be honest with you. That's something that, you know, you have to have, you know, you have to be called or led by God to actually go and do something. I don't think that you can see a need. Do I think that there is a need for people to be in genuine, you know, Christian settings? Yes. Um but I don't think that just because there is a need 
that we have to always be the ones that respond to that need. It has to be, um, you have to be the right person for that. And I think that, you know, if God is calling, you know, any of us to do that and he equips us to do it, then our response has to be, this is what I'm going to do. But that can't be something that we, that we, you know, that we aim for right. the same way that we, I want to be an astronaut, I want to mm-hmm. be a president, I want to be. But I know people now that aim to be preachers. I know a lot of people who are goals, they want to be, they want to be like preachers growing up. I met a lot of kids. My brother went to Oral Roberts. So when I met some of his friends, I was like, what are you studying here? He's like, divinity. I said, what do you want? This guy was like, I want to be a preacher. Like, I want to be a preacher. I'm coming here to divinity, divinity, excuse me. And I meet a lot of, a lot of, like, since I've been in New York, I've met a lot of people who just want to be preachers growing up. All they wanted to do is be a preacher. And I think it's a shift from, I would say, like, the black church from us going into more mainstream churches. Okay. Because I remember <laughs> going to church from, like, 10 and getting out at, like, 4. And now <laughs> I'm like ninety minutes and I'm good to go. But I remember I remember there's two services. I mean we would travel to another service to have like uh like once every fifth Sunday we'd all unite and it'd be like seven services. But it was fun because they would have uh each church would do like a play or something like that and it'd be like a uh what is it called? Tabernacle? I don't know what it was called. But I remember like the four churches in the area would come together. One church choir would sing and they do everything else, and every fifth Sunday they would do it and have like Union Sunday. Oh, that's right. what they called it, Union Sunday. Right. And I feel like now, the older generation, the generation now, their children don't grow up in church. There's not that same respect for church that I had. I remember when I was driving with my grandma, turn the music down, we're going past the church. Turn it down. And now I talk to like younger people and they, like, what? He's like, I never been to church my whole life. I was like, really? Never. Christmas. It's definitely, um, definitely a different. It's like time. wage gap now. Definitely, it's it's definitely a different time that we are living in, and um, I like I said, I you know to answer your question, I don't think that um, ambition should be factored into the whole call of ministry. Like I don't think anyone should do it because this is just what. I, now there is a burden that I have that's ministry related but what i do take a a moment to really process is that just as anyone else that god is calling i have to also go through whatever process that i have to go through so that i will actually be steadfast because this is this is not easy to get out here in these you know in these dark days Mm-hmm. And say that you are going to become a, you're going to be a minister or you're going to be a religious leader. I think anyone that takes on this assignment is taking on an assignment at, in one of the darkest eras in history. Why is it so dark? Um, it's dark because I think people have moved away from, there was a period, like you talk about when you were younger, there was a period where everyone, even the least religious person, had a respect for a church building. Mm-hmm. They would walk in front of a church building. They would put their cigarettes down when they're in front of a church building. They wouldn't use foul language when they're in front of a church building. And now we're in a time where people will come into a church building and shoot up the entire building. So people have a totally different attitude towards what is sacred. People don't have the same um, respect as a result. The value system, you know, is not what it was years ago. 
even the least religious person 20 years ago was moderately religious compared to the to the least religious person you know to to an average person today so i think just looking at how things have changed even people that were not you know what we call quote unquote christians still attended church then oh yeah they would go through the motions right and they would still um get something out of it but i don't think that so when you when you look at this particular era that we're in now you know it's a very very secular very secularly progressive society that we're in so i think any minister that moves in this era has to do so being fully aware of the fact that this is a different era okay would you say since this is a different era that 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 church is more face to face now meaning that's because I, I some of my friends don't like going to church and i tell them i was like man Jesus didn't say just go to church. He said go out and spread the gospel. So me, I'm spreading the gospel to you by like talking to you face to face. You don't have to come in the building, but I do think people have to have a relationship with God to move forward. To so so here's the thing. Um, I you know that's something that comes up quite often when I'm talking to people, and I try to be as consistent as possible. Um, I think everyone really needs to be affiliated with the community of believers. And I think we all need to, you know, because the scripture really talks about that, the forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And I think there is something that is powerful. Um, although it is mandatory, I think it is powerful to be among, to be within a community of believers worshiping together, praying together. And I do think that the church really um especially when you look at the the origin of the church we started as a community growing movement you know and so i really don't like to see the individual um the the agenda of individuality come in and cause people to move away from the community creating force um that i think that the church really exists to be for the 21st century so i, I you know i do have my 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 conflict with that but on the other side could that be a cultural thing with the community because i do feel like the people i went to church with the people i do go to church with they're inside my community so that's why it's more easy to go because i'm helping my community well i think that's a very powerful um illustration it does make it easier um when the people are part of your community but you know whether they were part of your community or they lived in other communities, I think they should still, one, you still would need that fellowship and, you know, come together and worship together, but then you would need to somehow come together to serve your local community or the community of the church. But the thing that really is interesting to me when it comes to the whole shift is the ideology and some of the things that are really coming that, that we are starting to see because of the contribution um, of the millennials or the people that are very forward thinking. And Give what an I, example of forward thinking. I will say this, the con- there was a panel that I, that I actually got a chance to experience recently and one of the things that was interesting was they mentioned the fact that the sphere of influence has shifted from the podium to a round table. And I find it very interesting because I grew up in an era where the only way that it was taught was from the pulpit Mm -hmm. but now we're learning in dialogue we're learning in conversation so i'm starting to see more panel discussions about 
issues or about um, topics that are applicable to Christian faith, but the 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 methodology is very um, very forward thinking. You know, mm -hmm. not just we're going to preach it and you have to hear it and you have to respond to it, but we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have dialogue because they're understanding that maybe the way that people learn. And, and, and I think this is not really just a spiritual thing. This is a learning thing. And I think when I was, um, after I had graduated from college, I went back and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go back to school. And I remember I just took one class and it was called Teaching a Diverse Population. And the professor was teaching about how within the past 30 years, there's been a huge shift and how people learn. Okay. And now the learning styles have changed. People no longer learn as much from the conventional method where there's, you know, a teacher that's up lecturing. Right. You know, there's one source of knowledge and everyone becomes a passive recipient of that person's knowledge. People learn now through interaction. They learn mm -hmm. through other ways. So I'm not even talking about the Sunday experience where you're preaching and you're proclaiming because that's still part of what we have to do. But I'm just thinking in terms of how we learn just in a very um, just in a very routine way. People don't we're, we're starting to understand through data that people don't learn you know, the exact same way that people learned 30 years ago. Yeah, that's right. So that's something that I think that is a part of the evolution that I would like to see um, a lot of our Christian communities um, moving into so that we can actually start to reach people that would not, because remember, when you're reaching people like me, whether we're religious or not, we're all very familiar with church. Okay. But there's a, a generation that's coming that does not have any clue as to what church culture really is so we have to make sure that we're reaching that group of people not just in a spiritual way by praying and laying hands on them but also in an academic way because they learn differently yeah so most people just google it themselves absolutely okay we've been uh we're gonna do these are final questions right and uh, we ask these questions but after we have a guest on we ask these questions and you can answer it as best of your ability as possible <clears throat> right, so you can the answer can go as long as you want. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, what is your favorite Bible character and favorite Bible verse? Interesting. Favorite Bible character. And I'm not gonna say character, but favorite person in the Bible, because character is disrespectful. Who will say your favorite person in the Bible? Jesus. I feel like <clears throat> if I say anyone besides Jesus, <laughs> I will be crucified. <laughs> How could anyone be? He likes Zerubbabel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I better definitely. And and I'll <clears throat> tell you why. Now I know it's a cliche to say Jesus, but I'll tell you to actually see um, without having Jesus as an example, I don't know where we would be as um, a faith, as an organized faith. We really needed his example. We really needed his teachings mm -hmm. um, because he really is the summation of everything. So when it comes to everything that the Old Testament was pointing to, we saw demonstrated through him. And when it comes to what our commission is, um, as far as the church or as far as you know, being the body of believers, we get the marching orders from him. So. I really think that he's definitely my favorite character, <laughs> um, if you if you want to say character. But also, if I were to think of my favorite verse, my favorite verse. Jeez, you put me on the spot. I love I love so many of them. 
Don't say Jesus wept. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say That's that. That's what all the kids used to say in church. No, See, I, what Jesus I wept. would say it fluctuates. I don't have one verse that sticks with me forever. And this verse, every time I see, you know, I have one verse that, you know, for whatever season in my life, um, it it reaches me for, for, for that season. And it's like, you know, something that I live by, something that I cherish. But then I go through other things or, I, you know, as I move through life, then I start to, um, you know, I have other verses. So to, to find one verse, I would probably say. I would probably say it would be in Galatians. Galatians what? It would be Galatians chapter four. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made under, you know, the law born of a woman. And I was thinking about how, you know, with at least in this season of my life, I was just thinking about how amazing it was that God waited until everything, the, the right timing, um, it was the right timing before he sent his son into the world. And to me, that's just important to me because then I got a chance to see that my redemption, my salvation, my election was not just something that just was, you know, a byproduct of some afterthought that God had, but he was very meticulous with the timing that he chose to bring mm -hmm. Jesus on the scene, waiting until the Romans built the roads, waiting until Alexander the Great marched around the world and, you know, and, and conquered the known world. And so I, 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 for me, I view it as the fact that God indicated in the scriptures that, you know, he was meticulous with, with the timing with bringing Jesus on the scene. So that's something that's important. Galatians. We'll put we'll put there. Okay, here we go. We got more questions. Uh, when's the last time you had a nightmare? <laughs> the last time that I had a nightmare, I don't really recall. I don't really recall having a nightmare. It's been, geez, years ago. What was that last nightmare? What was the last nightmare? I remember it being something that was disturbing and it woke me up, but I can't really recall. To be honest with you, I don't really have a lot of nightmares. Okay. I don't. All right, next question. Uh, have you ever had a panic attack before? Yes. What was that about? Why, what were you panicking about? That's actually pretty embarrassing, but... Were you laughing I'll somewhere? You, we'll edit. We'll, we'll, we'll edit this no, one out. But we don't, <laughs> we're not going to edit this. The panic attack I had was, um, it's been some years ago. I actually had gotten some type of I don't know if it was food poison or some type of, I remember I had to take some type of antibiotic for two weeks. And I got up one morning and I just looked at the bottle of pills and um, I know I saw the number 23 on them. And um, when I counted the pills, I must have counted like 11 pills. And that was only the day after I had gotten them. So I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I should have 23 pills and I poured them out and I counted them and I counted like maybe 11. And I just remember when I, in the middle of the night, when I was sleeping, I remember getting up because I had forgotten to take that pill that day. And I remember taking it in the middle of the night. But when it came to me that maybe I was sleepwalking and I took 10, oh my God. I start hyperventilating. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God, I'm sweating. I'm sorry. I got to call 911. And I called 911 and I remember I told them, I just, I think I overdosed. <laughs> I <remember laughs> he said, I think I overdosed. I called 911. I think I overdosed. And they, they, had, they transfer you to poison control. They, you have to read the pills. I think and, I overdosed. And then it dawned on me, 
that they they were asking me how many because I know I must have had it for like maybe my prescription was for like six days or you take you know two a day or whatever. But I remember I I saw twenty three and when I counted twenty <laughs> counted eleven I started freaking out. But then when I really looked at it, I remember um, the twenty three must have been May twenty third, and that's <laughs> this is not until after I heard it to get the ambulance here. I'm, 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 getting I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting weak. I'm getting weak. I'm getting weak. Can't I was explain. really like hyper. I was having a panic attack. But that was the first time probably the only time because I just I just thought that oh my god I probably took too many of these when I was asleep but that was the only time um do you believe in soulmates do I believe in soulmates um I don't know I don't know I don't know what you mean by soulmate soulmates meaning that a woman a do you believe that your soulmate is out here do you believe that there's soulmates out here like someone's destined for you I think anything that we have is destined for us but I but I don't know if I believe in soulmate to the same extent that other people believe in, like some, you know, mystical, you know, magical. I believe if I find a woman and I get married, then of course I'll just say yes, she was my soulmate. But I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I think a lot of this stuff comes from Hollywood and from. Have you ever broke up with a girl and you felt like that was your soulmate? Or no, no. <laughs> no, no. So every breakup they deserve to be broken up with. <laughs> I don't know, brother. I don't know. I, I, I can't say that. I can't say I've ever had that concept, though. What's the longest time you've been in a relationship? Why you got to get into my personal business? This is a podcast. It's supposed to be personal. Right. <laughs> That's the whole point of it. It's a podcast. 20 minutes. 20 minutes is your longest relationship. I'm just joking. I, I don't know. Um. Next question. So you get in. You get in. These, are, a, these, these are, are questions these. you should have brought out first when I was... When I had the juices flowing. Go oh, what? You juiceless now? <laughs> you got no juice left now? The reason why I'm saying that, because I say soulmates, is like, because is it hard as a minister dating? Do you not reveal that on the first date, or when do you reveal that you are a minister? Because you're a single black man looking for a wife. Not looking for a wife, but you would like to find a wife. If so I find how a wife, right. But, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh... Next question. I hate these questions. You know I hate these questions. These are these are the questions I ask in the podcast, man. I, 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 I don't you don't know. listen to the podcast? This is the number five podcast in the nation. Why you got to always be so... This is it. These are questions <laughs> that I ask. This is about... You got to think, think about like this. A lot of... You know how many single ministers are out here dating? And they probably, after you share this information, like, oh, I never thought about it like that. I know, but I don't want to... Oh, I'm still recording? This is live, yeah. No, it's not live. You said you edit this is a podcast, man. Right, next question. Okay. We'll skip that question. So, ladies, he's single. Hit him up on his Instagram if you want to find the answer to Don't that. Don't listen to Jared. <laughs> uh, this last thing is called who are you, right? So, I'm going to say who are you, and every time you say something, I'm going to keep asking the question until you stop. Got it? No, I don't got it. So, ask me who are you. Who ask are me you? that question. Jared Waters. Keep, keep asking it. Okay. Who are you? Two-time wrestling champ. Keep okay, going. You have to, it, has to go it, fast. Okay, I got it. Ready? So I'm going to do it like that. So the goal is for you to go beyond what you are and to go deeper than from yourself. Does In that make sense? In terms of what, though? Of what you are. A lot of people just say, I'm this, but you're more than that. So the goal is to go past your name and go past your profession and talk about who you are. 
as a person. Uh, you know, I hate revealing all my personal. Oh my! Why do you do a podcast? The whole you just talked about your whole childhood. I know, but that, you set me up for that one. I didn't know about that. <laughs> what do you think a podcast happens? I thought we were gonna dialogue about things, but anyway, I felt like this was like a Doctor Phil interview. It's about you. It's the whole podcast about you. After we get to know you, then the second podcast is more about that. Like these people don't know who you are yet. Fair enough. Are you ready? This is what the game is. You can stop in the game and stop. Is it ready? Go. Who are you? Marshall. Who are you? I'm actually a student of trying to learn more about humanity. Who are you? Harlemite. Who are you? Someone that actually wants to be successful one day. Who are you? I am a black man. Who are you? Proud black man. Who are you? <laughs> um, someone who just enjoys life. Who are you? Someone who I don't know. I I, I told you everything, Jared. It's not. You don't have to finish it. It's just like okay, so it, it stops like that. So you're done. I'm done. So you're done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Marshall. Uh, we're going to drop his Instagram and everything else. How can people follow you? You can follow me on Instagram at Marshall underscore NYC. Marshall NYC. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Marshall. He was on the hill with us. We're going to bring him back, and we're going to dive deeper and more dialogue how he would like it. But there's a good thing of introducing who Marshall is. So uh, find him on Instagram. Uh, find him on Facebook. Find him wherever you want to. Uh, he's out here, and he's out here spreading the gospel. All right, folks, take it easy.